Well, this week we're on our second lesson on the sign of a virgin. As we know, as we've said before, we know Christ was not born necessarily in December. But here's the good news. He was born. Amen. He was born. Peace on earth. Amen. Goodwill towards men. Amen. The fact that he was born. So there's no better time to celebrate than today, next week in the summer, that he was born. Amen. So we're going to celebrate that this month. And uh, we have as the topic, uh, the sign of the virgin. And our theme scripture was from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. He didn't leave it to someone else. He didn't leave it to a a good person because there are no good people. (laughs) Amen. Bible says our best is as filthy rags. Amen. There are no good people. Amen. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. I'm so glad that God is with us, even when sometimes we don't think he's with us. You know, as I said, even Jesus on the cross, when you're on the cross is when you feel alone. When you're going through it, it doesn't seem that God is with you. And Jesus, even on his cross, had to express in his humanity that feeling that you are alone. It's when you have the cross is when the test comes and you feel alone. But in another scripture, he said, he will never leave me nor forsake me. Amen. And that is what I want to thank God for because he has never left me. He has been so merciful and so gracious. Amen. And we, this month, as I said, we're looking at uh, the story of his coming and the fact that it was prophesied and predicted. And we last week talked about the seed of the woman. And this week we're going to talk about saved in childbearing. Now that's a strange uh, heading, saved in childbearing. And then we're going to talk about life in the blood and love like no other. And then finally marriage, if we can get all the way through this this month. Amen. Uh, We ended last week talking about the fact that the woman, uh, spiritually, today is the church. We are supposed to give birth. It was so good last week we were able to give birth, uh, baptize a young man. Amen. And that's a sign of life. When, when you're growing, there will be reproduction. It's a dead thing that does not reproduce. And so I'm always glad when we can baptize someone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we looked at the, the literal fulfillment, which was Mary, and we'll be looking at it again. But the spiritual fulfillment is, of course, the church, which is the bride of Christ. In Ezekiel 16, verses 8 to 10, it says, When I pass by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. In Psalms 91, it says that underneath his wings, right? Amen. It's really speaking of a spiritual covering, that God covers us. He covers our mistakes. He covers our faults. He covers our nakedness. In Revelation, it spoke about the lady seeing church who thought they were really dress up. He says, but you are naked and you need a covering. He counseled to buy of me gold, right? Gold comes through what? Fire. Isn't that funny? The only way you get pure gold is through a process of purification. And sometimes we don't like that. But if you're going through it right now, you know what God is doing? He's purifying you. He's making you into gold. We may not like that feeling uh, of the fire, but that's the only way you get pure gold. They run it through many, many times. Way back in the 80s when I was uh, working as as an engineer in some of these steel mills, I saw the process of refining ore into a metal. And to do that, they had to, to heat it up to melting point temperatures, and they would keep on heating it. And what would happen is all the impurities would flow to the top. Then they would skim that off. They would put in some other things to make more impurities uh, condensate. And then they would heat it up again. They did this many times. And then they would test it. They would put uh, something into there to test the purity of it. And they'd take it and look at it uh, chemically and see if it was good enough. And then when it was good enough, then they poured it out and it was fit for use. You know what God is doing? He's putting us through a process to get us fit for use. 
when I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. You know, when you go down in that tank, as I always tell people, what you're committing to is that you're submitting your life to God. You are no longer your own. You are, you're engaged. You know, when you're engaged, you're not supposed to cheat. Not supposed to cheat. You have made a commitment that you're going to be only to this one. Under the marriage vows, it says you're going to, to cleave only to this one. I swore unto you an oath and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord. Then I washed you in water, baptism. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood, and I anointed you with oil, symbolizing the filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so that's what God has prepared us to do. We see the image again in the book of Ruth, and I didn't put it in the study, of how... uh, um, her, her mother-in-law told her, Naomi told her how to approach Boaz. She said, go wash and then go sit at his feet. Take, his, take his, 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 the hem of his garment and cover yourself. You see, that was the symbol that God wants us to do is to go before him in humble submission and then he will cover us. He will cover us. He will take us to the next level. The scripture goes on in um, uh, Revelation 19, 7. It says, let us be glad and rejoice. All of this is in preparation for a marriage. A marriage supper. The Bible speaks about it. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. There is coming a time when, as the scripture says, there will be no more delay. When the angel puts one foot on the sand on the sea, lift his hands up to heaven, he says, let there be no more delay. Let there be no more delay. I can't imagine what it would be like to know you have made heaven. Can you imagine just for an instant to know that you this is done with? That you have, you have made it? See, that's what you've got to remember and keep in your heart. This is just temporary. Amen. So we're going to look this week on the topic of saved in childbearing. Amen. In uh, 1 Timothy 2.14, we're given a a, a huge revelation. We're given a a massive revelation that was not in the Old Testament. Here Paul is speaking to Timothy and he tells us something amazing. He says, and Adam was not deceived. What? (laughs) Adam was not deceived. Wow. Think about that. He's given us something that was not in the Old Testament. We know for sure that Eve was deceived because she said so. She said, the serpent here deceived me. Adam didn't say that. All he said is, this woman here gave me to eat and I listened to her. But he never said he didn't know what he was doing. And it's brought out fully in the New Testament. Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now that's also very profound and deep. Just that whole sentence there is very, very deep. I don't even know if I want to go into it because it would throw up a whole bunch of um, things. But listen, he said Adam was not deceived, meaning he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He knew what had happened and he did this possibly knowing the consequences. Notwithstanding... Notwithstanding that she was deceived, she shall be saved in childbearing. What does that mean? If they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So we're going to look at that whole verse today and, and, and go in depth as to what the scripture is trying to tell us. Saved in childbearing. I think that still applies to us today, you know. That we too, in, in winning others, in bringing forth fruit. Amen. We shall not only save them, but ourselves. We too can be saved in childbearing, in winning new people to Christ. Amen. Amen. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. We're going to look at that. Amen. Now, I want to start again at the beginning, and I want to point out something to you interesting about Eve's story. Because that was not her first name. 
That's not what Adam called her first. What did he call her first? Woman. He did not give her a, a name of Eve initially. He just called her woman. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. Now women are always very quick to boast. When we say we come from the dust, they say, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. You came from the dust. <laughs> you men were made from the dust. We weren't made from dust. <laughs> we were made from flesh. It's you men that were made from dust. Of course, that explains a lot, right? That's Our minds are always in the dust. <laughs> so we, we have to admit that uh, technically speaking, the woman was not technically technically made from the dust okay it and the rib which the lord god had taken from man made he a woman so she was made from something that was coming from the man that was pre-existing it was not technically dust and adam said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh you notice he left out something that we normally talk about what was it what was it he left out blood Remember what I, what I had theorized before that when they were created, they were not powered by blood, but by the Shekinah glory. And that's why he says, uh, she is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The same thing that Jesus said when he arose and went with his supernatural body. He says, flesh and uh, touch me because of bone and flesh. He didn't say blood. And in fact, the scripture says flesh and blood cannot inherit Amen. So there's so much to be gleaned, even from a a simple scripture. Amen. And Adam said, she's now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is symbolizing the oneness that God wants between, first of all, a man and a woman, and of course, even more so, himself and us. He said in in, in, uh, John, I believe, 17 through chapter 20, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now that is mind-blowing. Can we be one with Jesus just as Jesus is one with God? Think about that. Think about that. That, 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 is, that is elevation to another level. That, that's what Jesus prayed that we should be. We should be as close to him as he is to the Father. That to me, uh, in my puny fleshly brain, seems impossible. How can I be that close? But that is what we are called to. We, we have no idea yet what God really has in store for us. The level that he wants to put us at. That's why we were created in his image and in his likeness. We were truly created to be sons and daughters of God. Do you understand that? We are so far when, we fe- when Adam fell from what God had originally planned. And she's now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That means... She is just as as if it was me. And that's what God speaks about, that you can't hate your own flesh. That's the bond that should be there between husband and wife and also between us and God. There should be no separate. He said, I pray that they may be one, even as we are one. You could meditate upon just that for quite a while. Think about how close God wants us to be. That means there's no daylight. There's no separation. Amen. And, and uh, she shall be called woman. Let me read it again. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my f- flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. So this is speaking about a fleshly creation. Woman. And he called her woman because she was taken out of the man. But then in Genesis 3.20, we see after she gave birth, he gave her a different name. He gave her a different name. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. There was a, an additional name or a change of name once she gave birth. Now that's interesting. I call it the second naming. We're going to look at, at what, what that implies. The second naming. Now woman, the definition of why she was called woman because she was created out of his flesh. She was bone of his bones flesh of his flesh. And so 
that was one level of, of creation. But we now go to Eve because she was the mother of all living. And we see a second, a second level here because now she created something. Amen. Out of herself. So the first naming was fleshly, carnal. It was bone of bones, flesh of flesh. The second naming was spiritual, and I will show you that. And it meant the first naming put her in subjection to the man because she came out of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. That's the same Paul speaking. And I know you like the other scripture where you weren't made from dust, but not too many women like this scripture. (laughs) But it's not the end of it. You see, if that was the end of it, it would have been on a subservient level, created second. But there was a second naming, spiritual. 1 Corinthians 1.11 Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man, in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. Because it was through her giving birth to a son, a male, that the man is also from the woman. You see how God designed this thing? In Christ, there is neither male nor female, but all things of God. The second naming was spiritual because birth is really a spiritual event. Because it's at that point where a soul is born. It's a spiritual event. The the first naming was purely of a fleshly nature, even though it was supernatural, because he was saying, I'm going to name you this because you are bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And we see this two terms, these two names used in the New Testament by Jesus. Sometimes he called his mother woman. Did you notice that? He wasn't being uh, rude. Today, if we say woman, we, we think that that's a kind of bit rude. But you understand he wasn't, in those days, it wasn't a, a necessarily a term of, of rudeness. He was making a point between carnal and fleshly. That's what he was doing. Let's look at this. John twenty fifteen. When he came out of the grave, the first person to meet him, of course, was a woman. Mary Magdalene. And he addressed her as woman, even though he knew her name. He didn't say Mary the first time. He called her woman. Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Why do you think he called her woman, even though he knew her name was Mary? Think about it. I'm going to give you my answer. Whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener. Saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. I, I think he called her woman for the fact that she was weeping. That because she was thinking, even though he had told all of them, I'm coming back. Nobody really seemed to grasp it. They had a a lack of understanding of faith. He called her woman the first time because she was weeping. Remember, woman, why weepest thou? Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? Then he called her the second name, Mary. Why? Because she said, because I'm looking for Jesus. And when she, when she said that, he called her Mary. Do you notice? Jesus sent, saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni. Which is to say, Master. See, sometimes we're in our flesh and we're going through trials and we, we, we slip our faith a little bit, right? And we, 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 we become just like Jesus in his humanity on the cross. We're, we're saying, why hast thou forsaken me? You ever been there? You ever been going through stuff and you say, Jesus, where are you? Where are you, Lord? But you know, he used a different name. And we see this too with Peter. 
where sometimes he called him Simon and sometimes he called him Peter, depending on what it was he was doing. So he called, he called her woman the first time because she was in a fleshly mode. But when she said, I'm looking for Jesus, then he called her Mary. When you start looking for Jesus, remember what I said last week? He will confess your name in heaven. He said, I will call your name. You want your name called, you start looking for Jesus. Woman, when she was weeping, but as soon as she said, I'm looking for Jesus, where have you taken him? Then she called, he called her Mary. There's always a second naming when we come to Christ. When we go down there, our name is changed. We take on his name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. Amen. We're going to look a little bit more because when she was confronted, he pronounced some things that were going to happen to the woman in Genesis 3.16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. In Romans 8.22, Paul takes that whole concept of childbirth and he applies it to the whole fallen creation. And he says, for we know that the whole creation, not just women, groaneth and travaileth. The world is going through groaning and travailing. We're on the brink of nuclear war. You know, Russia's every day threatening uh, nuclear war. It just takes one or two mistakes or miscommunications for something pretty bad to happen. For the, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. From man's fall, there has been sorrow upon this planet. By the bread of, uh, by the sweat of your brow, you have to, 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 to eat bread. You know, life has never been perfect except for a very, very few people right at the top. Everybody else has had to pretty much work and slave and, 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 and do all kinds of things to make ends meet. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we. Don't know about you, but we too. Amen. We too, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even though we have the Spirit, the first fruit, that doesn't mean that we are going to have a red carpet life. You know, that nothing ever happens to us. Because we are living in a fallen world. We're living in a sinful world. So we are also part of the groaning and travailing. Amen. But of course, if you're groaning and travailing, I hope that, that, that drives you to your knees. That makes you pray. That makes you call upon the name of the Lord. For we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Have you done any groaning this week? Amen. Waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of the body. That's the last part of this puzzle that we're waiting for. We're still in this dust body. We're still in this body that is subject to pain and, and subject to aging and subject to decay. I mean, I've really noticed it this year for the first time. I really have going downstairs and, and getting up and, you know, why am I achy and I didn't do nothing? Amen. Because we're subject to turning back into dust. And and this whole creation now uh, can be modeled as an act of childbearing. And in it, there is pain. There is I'm not a woman, so I have not actually been through that. I was at the birth of all my children. And, uh, and all of you women who have given birth to ch- children know that it is uh, quite, a, quite an experience. Amen. Quite an experience. Seems impossible, really. <laughs> Seems impossible that that the, that baby can 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 come where he comes. I don't know, but God God makes it possible. Amen. Amen. So we see that there was a name change when she gave birth. First, she was called woman, but once she gave birth, Adam gave her a new name. We'll go back into that. And Adam knew his wife. Now, when it says new in the Old Testament is speaking about intimacy. 
It's not speaking about what we call no, which is just, hi, how are you doing? This is speaking about an intimacy, something intimate. Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare came and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And Adam knew his wife again. Do you notice the births only come when there is intimacy? Birth only comes when you're intimate. Can't come any other way. We have to be intimate with God. That close. That close. For there to be anything substantial birthed. It's an, it said, Adam knew. It means an intimacy. It's not from a distance. Amen. You can't give birth to God, with God from a distance. He's got to know you and you've got to know him. Amen. Every time there was a birth, it was because it said an Adam knew. Paul says, oh, that I may know him. <laughs> and the power, hallelujah. You see, for God to do anything in our lives, we've got to know, we've got to be intimate. We can't worship him from a distance. The wise men could have said, well, we know there's a king and he sees us. We're going to worship him from here. They had to go to where he was. They had to diligently seek him. They had to come and be able to come right before the baby Jesus to know him, to be able to say, I've seen him for myself. Amen. And be able to give a testimony. We've seen the risen Christ. Oh, that I may know him. You want to give birth to something? You want to bring forth something good? You're going to have to get close. You're going to have to be more than what they call a platonic relationship. Amen. You have to be close. This, every time there was a birth, it says, and Adam knew his wife. Again, in verse 2, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 25, and Adam knew his wife again. This is after Abel was killed, and she had bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And, of course, we've been through this before about the, the whole prophecy of the names, but I just want to re reinforce it because it gives the understanding what it means in Timothy when Paul says she should be, the woman would be saved in childbearing. The woman, which was her first name, her name was changed in childbearing because she was now a bringer of life. That's what Eve means because she was the mother of all living. Amen. And we, we've been over this before, but I just wanted to highlight it again. The, the prophecy in each name. She gave Seth his name because she said, God hath appointed me another uh, seed instead of Cain. Man, Seth means appointed, mortal, sorrow. That's talking about the whole creation groaning and travailing. Because of sin, this whole creation now groans and travails in pain. Man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God and Jared shall descend, Enoch teaching Methuselah. His death shall bring the despairing comfort. Isn't that awesome? His death, his death, his death shall bring the death. You're despairing today. I want you to know that you can be comforted. You may not see the victory right now. You may have been in years uh, in your in your trial, in your in your cross, so to speak. But his death is going to eventually bring comfort, bring victory. Amen. In Luke, in Luke, it gives the genealogy going backwards, and I just love the way. And I say this every time. It says Luke three thirty four, which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of Therah, which was the son of Nacor. It's going backwards which was the son of Serach, which was the son of Regu, which was the son of Phalak, which was the son of Heber, which was the son of Sailor. You know why it's doing this? Because it wants to establish without doubt the lineage of Jesus. It wants to show he could trace back every name all the way back. See, that's why Satan is an illegal alien. <laughs> he, he has no lineage he has no lineage that he can trace back. But Jesus Christ was made, born of a woman, made like unto his peers, so that he could be our Savior. 
So the Bible goes through the, the, the trouble of going back and naming all these strange names so as to prove that he has a lineage. When we were in, uh, in England, one of uh, our grand nieces and uh, Michelle came with us, so she, we left her in London with her cousins and so on, and so they had a, a good time. And one of the things she, she was telling us is that, I forget which one, but one of them had paid to have the DNA traced all the way back. And Michelle was so excited because they were telling her, you know, where they were from and all this stuff and how they're all related and everything. And today they can do it through DNA. But you know what? The Bible has Jesus' DNA going all the way back. All the way back. And guess what? We become adopted. We can have that blood applied where we too become part of the family. Amen? The Bible says in Acts 4 that, that there is no other name. Tell your neighbor, no other name. Amen? That all the family in heaven and earth is named after this name. Verse 37, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Mahalalel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. You know what the Holy Spirit does for us today? It lets us jump all that genealogy. It says, those that are led by the Spirit, to them gave he power to become son of God. You know what that the Holy Spirit does? It lets us jump all that genealogy that we too can become a son of God in the lineage of Christ. And I'm not doing this right in this lesson, but when you look at the lineage of Christ, we see five women. And none of them were of any special repute. In fact, they were so embarrassed they wouldn't name some of them. When they're given the lineage in Matthew, uh, they say, which was the wife of, you know, they don't want to say who the name was because of where she came from. Rahab, the prostitute. Rahab, the prostitute. Amen. And you have others. Ruth, the Moabitess. Going all the way back to Tamar, right? Who was Jude. You see how God chooses people to be in the lineage of Christ. When you come to him with faith believing, your name gets changed. If you're seeking him, you don't have to be woman anymore. He'll call you by your name. Which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam which was the Son of God. That always chokes me up to know that we can be a Son of God. All we have to do is make sure that we're being led by the Spirit of God. Amen. See, the, the Scripture says, the prophecy says that she would be saved in childbearing. Well, who is the Savior? Who is the one that's doing the saving? Well, the angel announced to the... To the um, to the shepherds, Luke 2, 2, 11, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The one you've been hearing about for 400 years or 2,000 years almost, going back to, uh, to Moses, that there would be coming another prophet, uh, a Messiah. This is the day. This is the day. Imagine if, if tomorrow was the day. If tonight the angel comes to you in your sleep and say, get ready. Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the day. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In Isaiah 43 verse 11 it says, I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me there is no Savior. And when you see the Lord in capitals in the Old Testament, it's speaking about Jehovah. He is saying, I'm Jesus too. I am the Lord. L-O-R-D. That's that, those four Hebrew letters, the, the Yud, um, the, the uh, He, and the Vav. And they, they don't pronounce it. In my Hebrew class, every time they come to that, they, they say Lord. They say Adonai. They don't, they don't say it 
um, as Jehovah because, you know, they, they take that as being taking the names of the Lord in vain. Every time they come to that and you, you see the four letters, they, they say, she tells me, you say Adonai, you say Lord, because they don't want to take the name in vain. They don't understand that that Lord, his name is Jesus. Amen. And I love to take his name, not in vain. Amen. It'd only be in vain if I give up, if I don't make it. But if, if we will just be led by the Spirit, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. In Titus, it's revealed, it says, looking for that blessed hope. I'm telling you who that Savior is. The one who was going to be her Savior too. Looking for that blessed hope. Are you looking for that blessed hope? And the glorious appearing. It's going to be a glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that scripture tells you who the great God is. It's not even and in the Greek, it, it, you could pr- translate that even. Even our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. My hope is not in my job. Tomorrow I could go in and they could shut down the company, right? My hope is not in Social Security. Some government could come in and say, you know what? We're not doing that anymore. (laughs) That cannot be my hope. My hope has got to be in Jesus Christ. And the glorious appearing of the great God, even and, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is who was going to be Mary's Savior. This was who was going to be Eve's Savior. That she shall be saved in childbearing. You know, if Adam and Eve had not been able to produce a seed, then the plan could not have happened. So in other words, she was saved in the ability to have a child. And it also goes for the church. We need to bear fruit. Amen. We need to bear fruit. We need to produce to show that we are alive. And that's how we get our name changed. Amen. The scripture tells us in other parts who this child is. Of course, the very famous scripture, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. See, Satan never came as a child. I told you, he can't do it. He is an illegal. (laughs) He is a faker. Unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. You know, I was looking at the news yesterday and I saw these two men just got released from prison after 25 years declared innocent. See, our justice system is not perfect. There's plenty of people who've been put to death even who are innocent. You know, there's miscarriages of justice. You can end up in certain situations where you, you, you know, the circumstantial evidence and sometimes the prosecutors themselves are crooked or even the police. These two men stayed in prison for 25 years and are now just getting out after there was a reinvestigation and they found that there was the evidence against them was, was all wrong. But on the increase of his government, amen, and of his justice, there will not be any flaws. There won't be any miscarriages of justice. Amen. From henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You see, God has got this. He has got this planned out. In his appointed time, everything is going to work out. It's for us to wait patiently. Sometimes that is so hard. I'm a very impulsive person. When I want something, I try and just get it. I'm not, I'm not one to wait around, which is very bad. But I have to learn to be patient. We have to wait patiently upon the Lord. We pray and then we wait for the answer. Amen. We see that God had this plotted out. Remember that the woman that he spoke about in Genesis, the promise was that the seed of the woman would crush his head. And this starts to be fulfilled through the lineage 
of first Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. And Jacob marries uh, two women, Rachel and, and Leah, right? And we told the story of how um, on the way back, going home, Rachel died. And she died just outside of Bethlehem. And Jacob builds her a tower in memoriam. And this tower is called Migdal Eder. And in, in Hebrew, Migdal means tower, and Eder means flock. It's the tower of the flock. Just outside of Bethlehem. And this is prophesied as a place where the shepherds would then bring their sheep. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar at her grave, a tower. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. And Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. That's in Genesis 35, uh, 19. I believe you can go to Israel and still see this, this tower um, from all that time. That there is a tower there which is where the, the shepherds would bring their sheep to, 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 to um, give birth. In Micah 4.8 it says, And thou, O tower of the flock. See, the specific place is prophesied. Thou, O tower of the flock. If you were to look that up in Hebrew, it would have said Migdal Eder. The stronghold of the daughter of Zion. Unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. What that prophecy is saying is, it's, it's being more specific than saying he's going to be born in Bethlehem. It's really giving us the hint exactly where the manger was. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It's telling us exactly where the manger was going to be, just outside of Bethlehem. And where the shepherds knew where to go. It's so amazing that that God has this planned out. Do you know the Bible tells us exactly where Jesus is coming back to? Just as it told us specifically where he was going to be the first time that he was going to be born in this manger, it tells us exactly where his feet are going to come back to. It's on the Mount of Olives. This same Jesus, whom you saw ascend, shall so come again in like manner. Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel where his feet is going to come back to. Exactly the spot on the Mount of Olives. Isn't it amazing? The Bible is precise. It tells us where he was going to be born. And it tells us where he's coming back the second time. And yet there are people who uh, will, because they, their understanding is blinded by the God of this world, will not believe. Amen. So the Bible pro- prophesied through Rachel... Even though she died in the flesh, that through her was going to be born uh, um, the seed from which Jesus was eventually going to come. Amen. And of course, many people don't realize that Bethlehem is not really very far from Jerusalem. It's only about uh, seven kilometers, which is about four miles. It's not very far from Jerusalem. That's my next bucket list. (laughs) God willing, God willing. Amen. But if I don't see it in the flesh, we're all going to see it in the spirit. Because that's where Jesus is going to rule and reign from, isn't it? Jerusalem. Amen. John said he saw the new Jerusalem coming down adorned as a bride. Amen. So if we don't see it in the flesh, we certainly will see it in the millennium. So Bethlehem, of course, is, 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 is the place where they, in Israel, as I've taught before, they raised all the sheep. And the reason why as I said before, these shepherds were chosen was because they weren't just any shepherds. They were no doubt Levites who raised the sheep for the sacrifice. You know what? I don't know some of you have worked in hospitals and I worked in a hospital on a volunteer basis when I was young and I didn't really like it because they put me in a geriatric ward. And so while I was there, I got to see quite a few patients depart. And I wondered, how can you, how can you work here? Because you, you're seeing people die almost every day. You know, you can't get attached to anybody because they may not be there. 
and you have to be caring, but on the other hand, you can't get too attached or else you won't be able to do your job. And I'm thinking about these shepherds as they were raising the sheep, and they probably knew the sheep by name. They probably knew the sheep by name. The good shepherd knows his sheep by name. And yet they knew that the sheep they were raising, the little um, uh, ewes they were raising, were destined to be used as sacrifices. The same thing was modeled in the Old Testament on the Passover, right? They were told to bring in a, 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 a little lamb and to keep it with the family for three days, three and a half days, and treat it almost like a pet. They had to feed it, care for it. But on the third day, they were to kill it and eat it. That's hard. But that's exactly what they did with Jesus, right? The Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. So the revelation of the mystery about who the Savior was and why he came was first given uh, literally to these shepherds. And they were told, listen, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem in a manger. And they didn't even ask which manger because they knew. In Genesis, we see the fact that it was it had to be a blood sacrifice. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain's offering, he had no respect. Now, although we are told that it, it is a blood sacrifice, that wasn't the only reason. It's revealed in Hebrew is that his offering, Cain's offering, was not mixed with faith. He was just going through the motions. He really wasn't too concerned. He knew he had to do it, so I'm going to show up. I'm going to go through the motions and everything will be okay. But that's not really knowing God. No. To know God, you have to really, to know someone, you have to care about them. Amen. You have to have you have to have a passion to know about them, right? What are, what are the things they like? What are the things they don't like? Cain just was going through the motions, and the only reason he did it was because it was what was supposed to be done—a sacrifice. But the one that was accepted was, of course, Abel's. And of course, this continued through the Old Testament that there had to be a sacrifice. In Numbers 28.1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say unto them, My offering and my bread for my sacrifice is made by fire, for a sweet savor unto me shall he observe to offer unto me in their due season. Today, God wants us to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. The Bible says it's our what? Reasonable. We're not doing God any favors. In fact, we're doing ourselves a favor. Amen. When we, when, we, when we live the way we should, we're actually blessing ourselves. All we're doing is fulfilling God's law. We're not, we're not doing anything above and beyond. Amen. The Bible says all of the things that we do, God had already prepared the good works for us to do. It says here, my offering and my bread for my sacrifice is made by fire for a sweet savor unto me shall he observe to offer me in their due season. And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire which ye shall offer unto the Lord. Two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day. This was the, this was the continual sacrifice. This was the thing they had to do every single day, seven days a week. A morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice of two perfect lambs. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer at even. And so this is what the Bible is speaking about when it speaks about the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. And this was done no matter what other day it was, whether it was a Sabbath, whether it was a um, Yom Kippur, this was always done no matter what, 365 days a year. So this meant they needed well over 700 lambs a year, which meant that they had to keep a flock of sheep just for the purpose of providing the sacrifice. I put this in here, which would give the ritual. This gives the ritual of, of, of what the priests would have to do. The first lamb is brought out and tied to the altar at dawn. The high priest prepares the altar. 
In my mind, I can picture them going to the garden and arresting Jesus. They're preparing him to be the sacrifice. At the third hour, the first lamb is sacrificed. We see that he was crucified at the third hour. And he was left on the altar. The first hour uh, was also in the, of prayer in the temple. And so the first lamb is sacrificed at 9 a.m. And all of this is coming from what the, the Jews had their, their own notes called the Mishnah, their writings. Then at the sixth hour, the second lamb is brought out and tied to the altar at noon. And then he's, cru- he's, he's, he's killed at the ninth hour. And we see Jesus perfectly fulfill this. For he was crucified at the third hour and he gave up the ghost at the ninth hour. He was six hours on the cross. Now normally, when Romans crucify people, they're on the cross a lot longer than that. They could live up to three days. But in Jesus' case, you have to remember that he had been brutalized and whipped and put near death the night before. That's why in Isaiah it says he was bruised for our iniquities. He was, he was on that cross for six hours. And because of what they had done to him so badly before, that he already was dead by the time of the, the ninth hour. So I said all of this to show you why those shepherds were in this story of Jesus' birth, because they were the ones who had to provide this continual sacrifice, this daily morning and evening killing of perfect lambs. I'm sure they hated it. I'm sure they hated it. Just like when I was in the hospital, I, we know we need nurses and doctors, but I knew that I didn't, I didn't like that job because I didn't like seeing people die. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't do that. On, uh, my hat's off to those who are able to function and, and do a, such a wonderful job that we have nurses and doctors. But I'm, I, I feel that these shepherds hated what they were doing. And so the angel came to tell them, listen, very soon you won't have to do this anymore. Because behold, this night is born in Bethlehem a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. But Bethlehem was full of people. The population had multiplied because Caesar had ordered everyone to return to their own home village for a census. So Bethlehem's population had probably quadrupled. That's why there was no room for Mary and Joseph to find a place to stay. So said, well, there's that place out just outside of town where you could probably find a place to stay. And so the angel said, you'll find him in the manger. And that was all they needed to be told. The manger. We can find him today wherever we will fall on our knees and say, Lord, I'm willing to submit. You don't have to go down into the manger. But the scripture does say the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. That's where these shepherds ran to. They ran to the tower of the flock. They said, let us go see what these angels have said. Let's go see for ourselves. Mark 15, 25. And it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Sometimes we go through that cross experience. And it's okay if you're on the cross to feel forsaken. But don't give up. Don't give up. In John, I believe 9, he said, listen, my father will never leave me because I and my father are one. But he had to feel and express just like we do. Come on now. There, I'm sure there's been times when you just feel, Lord, where are you now? Where are you, Jesus? I'm on my cross. I'm feeling it now. The pain is, is taking me. And so Jesus, the Bible says he was in all points Tempted, such as we are, yet without sin. And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth for Elias. 
And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Amen. That was the beginning of our day of atonement. On the day of atonement, the priest would come out and he would pronounce the name of God. That was the only day that they felt that the priest could actually legitimately call God's holy name on the people. He was commanded, when you come out, you pronounce my name. Call my name. Call the name. We are the people of the name. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their sins, Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. See, we need that name called upon us. Because this is our day of atonement. It began when Jesus said it's finished. It began when that veil tore in two. That's why you don't have to come to me. You don't have to come to the priest. I was talking to someone this week. And they kept on calling me father. And I had to keep telling them, listen, I am not, don't, don't call me that. I'm not father. <laughs> they kept on calling me father. I said, no, I'm not that. I am a father, but I am not the father. <laughs> there is only one father. I was not consecrated a Catholic priest. <laughs> they, they kept, I had tried to keep telling them, please. And they said, no, I, I want to call you. I said, no, please. That makes me uncomfortable <laughs> kept on calling me father no I'm not father amen you understand the shepherds knew where to go to find Jesus they went to the Migdal Eda the tower of the flock in the Psalms it says the, the, the Lord is a strong tower what does it go on to say the righteous and are saved the shepherds knew where to go they knew exactly where to go. They were the ones responsible for providing these sheep. And what the angel said was, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. For this day is born a Savior. We don't have to wait. We don't have to bring turtle doves. We don't have to bring lambs. All we have to bring is a broken and a contrite heart. He said, I will never turn that away. When we come before God with a broken and a contrite heart, the name of the Lord, Proverbs 18.10, is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is saved. So the newborn lambs were to be unblemished. So when they got the lambs, so that they didn't scuff themselves, they would wrap them in tight bandages. In other words, swaddling clothes. And they would place them in the manger. The area in the temple flocks that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was born in one of the, 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 the caves used as a stable and was wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. Amen. You see, Jesus said that there would be a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Amen. She was going to be saved because of the fact that way down in the distant future, she was going to be the, the great, 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 great grandmother of another son of God. Amen. I'm trying to see if we will be able to finish this lesson tonight, today. Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. We read the genealogy in Luke going backwards. In Matthew, it gives the genealogy going downwards, starting from David. It says, the book of the generation... Of Jesus Christ. And the reason again I said this was so that there would be no doubt of his lineage. Today if you take a DNA test, what comes back is some percentages. You got so much percent of this ethnicity, so on this, and they can trace you back. Okay, you, you, your, your forebears, 20% came from Norway, 20% came from here, 20% came from... I know if when they do mine, they're going to be going like... He's all over the map. <laughs> they won't be able to come up with a single spot. Well, he's got some over here, this one over here, this one over here. Man, this guy's from all over. He's really a pretty mixed up guy. 
<laughs> I said, if they were to trace my DNA, it would be all over the place. Amen. But you know what? I still can run to the tower. Amen. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now, how many of you have traced back your family tree? Any, anybody done that? So how, how far back have you got? I know, Sister Mary, you're already a great... That's amazing. Sister Mary's a, a great grandmother. I don't know if I'll make that. I'm just a, a grandfather, but I don't know. Anyone trace their lineage back further than great, great? Okay. All right. How far back in time have you been able to go? 1800s? Wow, that's pretty far. I, I, I've not gone. I can only go back to my um, great uh, grandfather. Now, when I was in England, my brother texted me and said, Now's the time you, you, you're up in Scotland, you should be tracing it back. I told him, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> I'm here on vacation, not to. My lineage is Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's where you really need to be able to trace your lineage back. That's all that matters. Maybe your lineage doesn't go back to kings or queens, but if it goes back to the king, hallelujah. If it goes back to the king, then you have nothing to worry about. Amen. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 40. In the Bible, though, just to, to absolutely shut all of the scoffers and the people who are the naysayers, Jesus' lineage is given in two ways, as you know. It gives all the lineages all the way down to Jeconias. And we, 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 we taught about the story of Jeconias, how he was such a sinful king that he prompted a curse. He, he, he prompted a curse. In First Chronicles 3.16, And the sons of Jehoiakim, Jeconiah his son, Zedekiah his son, and the sons of Jeconiah, and all of this. And because he was so wicked, God put a curse and said, Listen, none of your seed is ever going to be king of Israel. And I'm sure Satan was just having a party. <laughs> I've stopped this, the promise of the seed because how can God now have a Messiah come from a cursed line? How can that be? But of course, he just doesn't outsmart the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you could stand with me, amen. So how is Jesus, a descent of David, going to become king when the, the main line has been cursed because he was so wicked? How can God's word for the curse and God's word for the Messiah both be fulfilled? And then it gives us the answer because Mary's line goes through Nathan, which was the son of Solomon, which was the son of David. See how God does it? He always has a way. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of old, being as he was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of Mattah, and it goes on, which was the son of Melia, which was the son of Menon, which was the son of Mattah, which was the son of Nathan. Doesn't go through the line of Solomon anymore because of Jeconiah, which was the son of David. You see how God always has a plan? Satan thought he had him. You can't have a, 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 a Messiah come now because Jeconiah is cursed. But God always has a way. So Matthew shows the lineage as a son of man through from David Solomon. But remember that Matthew, Joseph was never really his real father. There was no blood connection. But Luke, as I said, gives the genealogy going all the way back and ends with these words, which was the son of God, which was the son of God. So you see, and I, I, I'm, I'm rushing through this, the two lines that go from David. One gives the genealogy through Joseph, and one gives the genealogy through Mary. God's got it either way. Amen. He's got it either way. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Hallelujah. God is such an awesome God. 
They that wait patiently on him. You will not be disappointed. Amen. You need to run to that tower. Just as the shepherds did. Knowing that this day is born a savior. Which is Christ the Lord. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father we thank you this morning. For your word. Let it build faith Lord God. That your sign of your first coming. Oh God is no more stronger. Than the sign of your second coming. Which will soon be. Help us to be ready Lord. To be joyous just as the shepherds. Lord God to run hallelujah. Into that place of faith. Lord God, that you can keep us, that you can cover us, that you can lift us up. We thank you, hallelujah, for your blessing and your presence, your goodness and your grace. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Let's do that right now. Hallelujah.